Open your Bibles real quick. I'm just going to read three verses. Again, Sister Hudson, we are so glad you're here. And we are praying for your husband and for you. I know you're going to be traveling probably today or tomorrow, but we're going to be praying for you. And you tell him I will be booking him again. Maybe for more than just one Sunday, too. <laughs> but we appreciate them so much. And uh, she was on the plane with us coming home last night. And we were talking at the airport waiting for our luggage. And I mentioned... I said, so where are you all based off? She goes, Flint, Michigan. I said, well, do you know Bishop Hanson? She goes, that's my dad. I'm like, wow, the world just keeps getting smaller, you know. Yeah, of course, I knew Brother Hudson's side of the family, Brother Tommy Hudson and all that. But it just, I just love what God's doing in the kingdom of God. And uh, so if you get a chance to greet Sister Hudson today, please do so and tell her we're praying and uh, be praying for her as she travels. But you'll see her and her husband again. Uh, hopefully sooner than later. So Psalm 146, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. Now, it's going to be just slightly different than what you see on the screen with the King James. Um, I took the liberty of uh, changing a few words that, to make sense of what they're saying, and I, I checked this with um, other uh, comparative translations. But here we go, verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. For his spirit departs, his being the son of man or the, the, the you know, prince, for his spirit departs and he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts also perish. In other words, if we put our trust in people or the government, right, it, it's not going to work it's because they, they eventually die. I mean, I, I believe the Queen of England, you know, did a pretty good job. She served pretty faithfully. I'm, I don't want a monarchy in America, um, you know, but nonetheless, I think she had class and, and service, but she breathed her last. And one day the great equalizer is death, and one day she'll stand before God just like all of us. Amen. But watch verse 5. But happy is he <laughs> that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And I just want to preach for just a few minutes on this thought, incomparable hope. Father, you are the living word, and I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, and write your words upon our hearts, God. Speak both your logos and your rima to your church today. Open our understanding that we may comprehend the scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. To bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we pray and expect all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And would you say amen? amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. He's worthy. <laughs> Praise God. You can be seated. Amen. Psalm 146 through 150 are known as the Hallelujah psalm. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Because each of these last five psalms begin and end with praise ye the Lord, which is English for hallelujah. Amen. Psalm 146 reveals a vow to praise God throughout life. Psalm 147 explains that praising God is good and pleasant. Psalm 148 reminds us that we are to join with creation as we worship Almighty God. Psalm 149 teaches us to rejoice joyfully. And Psalm 150 explains where, why, and how everything and everyone should praise the Lord. 
And so as we end these psalms over the next few weeks, and uh, what started in March of 2016 of me preaching through the psalms is now coming to an end a little over six years later. Amen. But as we go through these psalms, they're going to be all about praise. So get your praise shoes on, get your praise clothes on, because we're going to praise God as we think about who He is. Amen? In fact, these final five psalms teach us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I want to just take you back in time with me. And if we were at Adventures in Odyssey, we would press the red button and we would go in which time machine back into uh, John 4 and 23 and 24 where Jesus is talking to the woman on the well. And she's from Samaria. And there's the well of Jacob. And, and he's from Jerusalem. And the Jews and Samaritans hate each other. And the Jews say you worship on this mountain and the Samaritans say no we worship on this mountain and I love Jesus' answer he goes hey there is coming a time when neither in Jerusalem nor here and watch what Jesus says he says behold the hour comes and now is oh hallelujah it, it weren't starting in the future somewhere can I tell you that now is the time to praise and worship God not in a future setting not when your miracle comes not when your answer comes but now is a time to praise God hallelujah God desires our praise and worship and he deserves it but it is our choice to do so Various circumstances can obscure at times our perspective of God. And that happened in ancient times as well as still in modern day. And it's in and through these trying times that so many stop worshiping and praising God. But it is also during these difficult times that I believe we should praise God all the more. Oh, hallelujah. It's easy to praise God. When the answer has come, it's easy to praise God when the victory has manifested. But when you can praise Him before it, oh hallelujah. Can I tell you that nothing will ever dethrone God? So regardless of our circumstances, He's worthy. Why is He worthy? I'm glad you asked. Because He never fails. He will never forsake us. And he cannot lie. And that's some pretty good reasons. And therefore, he deserves to be blessed all the time. We don't know who the psalmist was that wrote Psalm 146. And, and in fact, the, the remaining psalms are all unknown. Amen. But whomever this psalmist was, he compels us to praise, trust, and love God because God is worthy. And the psalmist also expresses that God's everlasting reign, prophetically revealing the coming of the new covenant as well as the kingdom of God within born-again believers and the eternal aspect of that kingdom. Amen. And so I want to preach today for just a few minutes to you about the incomparable hope that the psalmist wrote about. The first thing I want to tell you is that hope in God compels me to praise Him while I am alive. Look at verses 1 and 2. Pray! 
praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Can I tell you, He's worthy every day you get up, every time you walk out your door. He's worthy when the alarm goes off. He's worthy your last thought at night. He's worthy during your sleep and dreams. Amen. He's worthy if it's a bad day or a good day. He's worthy. And the psalmist says, because of this hope I have in Him, because of who He is, and because of what I know Him to be, while I live, while I have my being, I'm going to praise God. I'll never forget the Youth Congress that was in Columbus, I forget the year, but it was in Columbus, I think it was 17, 2017, but saw the video of an elderly man probably to be in his 80s, and he's holding on to uh, the railing, and he's doing one of these numbers here. He had a walker, and it was hard for him to walk, but at a youth Congress, where it was youth Congress kind of music and, and lights flashing and loud blaring. Here's an elder gentleman saying, I'm not going to miss my opportunity while I have my being. I might have to hold something to support me, but I'm going to praise him anyway because he's worthy. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, I know Kennedy's moved to Orlando, but many of you can remember he'd get his stick out uh, and he'd move around and he ain't going to let nothing stop him. He ain't going to let blindness stop him from praising God. Can I tell you something? Nothing should ever stand in our way of praising God. Oh, hallelujah. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul comes upon a place called Mars Hill and he sees an inscription made out to the unknown God and he reveals to him who it is and, and skip down to verse 27, 28, brothers, Acts 12, or 17, there, 27, 28, he says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might fill after him and find him, though he be not very far from us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Amen. The reason he's worthy of our praise is because in him and by him and through whom him I live and move and have my being. If it weren't for God, I wouldn't be here. If it weren't for God, I wouldn't be a lie. If it weren't for God, I wouldn't be forgiven. If it weren't for God, I wouldn't have mercy. I wouldn't have grace. Oh, hallelujah. Outside of the hope in God, there is no life. Oh, and I can say the same thing this way. Outside of a life in God, there is no hope. You see, hope fuels praise to God and praise refreshes hope. Let me explain it this way. When I begin to get discouraged, I look beyond the Surrey bonds of earth. To the coming kingdom of God and know that there's going to come a day when there is no more turmoil no more trial no more death no more sin no more Satan and that, that begins to Titus it was called a glorious appearing that, that blessed hope amen I begin to look and I know let me say this say it this way too if atheism is correct, there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell. I've not lost anything in being holy, living the way I do, and praising God. 
If all I'm going to be is fertilizer for a tree, what have I lost? I've been morally pure. I've been faithful to my family. Right? But since, not if, since God is true and every man a liar, the atheist loses eternal life. Because we're not just fuel or soil or whatever for the next generation. And like Paul on Mars Hill, I, I know him personally. Now, I've done some travel. I'd love to go to Athens. I'd love to go to Mars Hill. A friend of mine did, and he said that he noticed something about uh, that what was there, and he was reading the scripture, and in that place where it would have been that they had this, uh, it would have been a, a temple, okay? So imagine a, a building, and in this building, there would have been busts of the different gods, Okay? That they would have had. And so whether you serve uh, Apollo or Athena or Artemis or, or whatever, you could come in there or Mars or Jupiter or whatever. You could come in there and you could see a bust of your God. Kind of like we would go to a museum and see a bust of a president or something. You, you could see uh, this, this, what they envisioned that their God would have looked like. But for the unknown God, <laughs> it was inscription. It, it was words. Because in the beginning, the Word was with God. And the Word was, oh, come on, somebody. And I believe when Paul saw that inscription, he goes, I know who that is. I know that God. Amen. Can I tell you, I know him personally. I, I've experienced, you've come too late to tell me this is not real. You've come too late to tell me that, that it's a bunch of emotionalism. I've been buried in a watery grave. I've come up alive speaking in tongues. I've seen the power and presence of God. Amen. I know he's real. So while I have my being, my hope in him compels me to praise him. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't we take a time out for a shout? Come on. Glory! Glory! The next thing the psalmist gives us is, I believe here's the next part, is that hope compels me to trust God alone. Again, I read it as my text, but verses 3 and 4, Put not your trust in princes, nor in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. For his spirit, the prince, the, the son of man, departs, and he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. In other words, don't trust in that which doesn't have eternal life in it. There was a king that knew Joseph, and Israel was treated well. But when, when that one died, and another Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph, he enslaved the people. We can't always trust the government. Well, that, that's actually good. Never. Because <laughs> they, they pass, they move on. Amen. The psalmist is explaining that trusting in humanity is futile. Because they'll eventually die. Thus, the psalmist reveals that since God never dies, he's trustworthy. In Psalm 20, verses 7 8, this is how uh, David said it. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. 
They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. I mean, come on. If I was a financial advisor and I said, if you put all your money over here in this basket of horses and chariots, they're going to fall and never rise again and, and it's going to be bad and horrible. But, but if you put all your, your trust and money over here in, in God and the righteousness, you're going to stand upright and be okay. I mean, is it really a no-brainer where to put? If we can understand the concept when it comes to money, we should certainly understand it when it comes to trusting God. I cannot and I will not put my hope in this world or its government or its people. Corruption and wickedness abound. And without God, humanity is cursed. But God has never taken a bribe. God is not prejudiced. And all He does and everything He does is just and right. The Bible not one time tells me to worry about it, stress about it, or figure it out on my own. But repeatedly, the Bible tells me to trust in God because you never go wrong trusting God this is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 26 you God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you trust in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength not only is he everlasting but the strength he gives the help he gives and the hope that he gives is everlasting the economy can affect it adversely governments can't stop it military power can't overthrow it in a coup amen the trust and the hope of God is everlasting Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so hope in God compels me to trust in Him alone. The third thing, hope in God, that He will confirm His Word. In Psalm 146, 5 through 9, happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is therein, which keeps truth forever which executes judgment for the oppressed, which gives food to the hungry. The Lord looses the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord preserves excuse me, the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked He turns upside down. The historical setting and the psalmist are unknown for this psalm. Amen. But what is known about Psalm 146 is that this psalmist hoped in God for the miracles he had promised. The prophecies that had been given, he looked forward to their coming. And much like uh, uh, Abraham and those uh, uh, in the members of the hall of faith, if you will, uh, they, they left behind, they, they forsook those things and confessed that God was their God and trusted in Him and sought for His promises. And the psalmist seems to echo this same thing. But there are nine things that he brings out in this part of the psalm, the, the bulk of the psalm, in which God does to confirm His Word. In verse 5, God helps. Does anybody need some help from the Lord today. Well, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. If God is your God, not just my God, not just TCOO's God, amen, but he's your God. There's a personal relationship, amen. Happy are you because he's going to see you through. 
In verse 7, he executes judgment for the oppressed. Anybody ever felt oppressed? He gives food to the hungry. Anybody ever been in need? He frees prisoners. Has ever anybody ever been bound to addictions or drugs? Can I tell you that God frees people still to this day? It's not always brick and mortar that he frees them from. It's addictions that he frees them from. Hallelujah! Verse 8, opens blinded eyes. And I believe that's both physical and spiritual. I've seen people come to the revelation of the truth. I've seen people and heard testimonies of them that have believed traditional and and non-biblical things their whole life. But come to Him with an open heart. And their eyes are opened as God reveals who He is. Raises those who are bowed down. Have you ever felt the heaviness of life? Ever felt the thing upon you? Well, hope in God's word because it will be confirmed. And he raises up those that are bowed down. He knows how to lift you up. Verse 8, also, he loves the righteous. Verse 9, he preserves strangers. Amen. Anybody ever felt like a stranger from God? We all were. We all were Gentiles, but God preserved us. What does that mean? He had, he had salvation waiting for us. He had revelation waiting for us. And he relieves the fatherless and the widows. In other words, God cares and God takes care. So you're hoping him. Amen. You're hoping in his word. Hallelujah. And so if you fall into any of those nine categories, take heart and hope in God. He will confirm His Word with signs following. Now, I want to remind you again, God cannot lie. Titus 1-2. God cannot fail. Zephaniah 3-5. Amen. God cannot deny Himself. Amen. Amen. He will never forsake Hebrews 13 and verse 5. I think that means he's worthy of our praise. Wouldn't you think so? Thank you, Lord. Verse 10. The Lord shall reign forever. Even your God, O Zion... Notice it's personally your God. To all generations. Death comes to all. But the hope of God extends to all. Praise ye the Lord. God's reign is eternal both now and forever. Presidents, prime ministers... Monarchs, any other type of governments may think that they are in charge, that they reign, that they have the highest office of their country or maybe the world. But as Jesus uh, let Pilate know, if God didn't give you authority, you would have none. So you can hope both now in God and for eternity. As I was praying over this message, God spoke to me to bring a prophetic word, a promise to somebody here today. And I believe that I know who you are. I'm not going to call you out publicly. But I also believe this is in a general sense for everybody. But there are some people here that God wants you to hear this specifically. Put up Zechariah 9 verse 12 if you would, please. Turn you to the stronghold. 
you prisoners of hope. That's a very ironic phrase. When I think of prisoners and I think of hope, the, 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 the dichotomy between those two is like, wait a minute, that don't sound right. That's like an oxymoronic statement. I'm either bound in prison or I'm hopeful and free. But, but when I read Philippians, which is the happiest book of the Bible, they say it was written from a prison. <laughs> so maybe there is something about circumstances not governing. Oh, well, that'll preach right there, won't it? Zechariah is talking to some people that, that felt imprisoned by the world, by, by uh, other governments, Assyria and Babylon and whatnot. Egypt, of course, in their past, and other Amalekites and so forth, Moabites that had attacked them. And, and yet, they also, despite all that, had a hope of something yet to come. Anybody hoping for something yet to come? Anybody have a word from God that you're kind of looking through the glass darkly? You can kind of see it just on the other side of whatever this gap might be, and you feel bound to it. Are you with me? A prisoner of hope. You're, 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 ah, I'm not giving up on that. Kind of like Paul said, I'm a bond servant. I, I choose to, to be a slave of Christ. That's what that bond servant means. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm enslaving myself voluntarily to this hope. Hey, listen, I may not be able to explain everything that this Bible says. I may not know how it's all going to unfold. I may not be able to come up to you and give you a book, chapter, verse of when and where your miracle is going to come. But let me tell you something. I'm bound to this. Paul said he was addicted to the ministry of the saints. So am I. And I'm addicted to this hope, to this word. I'm bound to it. I'm a prisoner to it. Watch. He says today. Now wait a minute. He's looking into the future. Zechariah can only see into the future of what's yet to come, the new covenant, Calvary, and so forth. But watch what he says. Today, oh, there's something going to happen today, not just in your tomorrow, not just in a proverbial uh, event somewhere down the road. So many times we hear about revival. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. God told me to tell you it's not coming. It's today. Today. Do I declare that I will render double unto you? Some of you are hoping for this and you're, you're a prisoner to it. But God is saying, I'm not just going to do that. I've got double for you. Today. It's like the verse I quoted a while ago. Behold, the hour comes and now is. It's a today hope in Matthew 12 20 verse 21 if the praise team would come back this morning I woke and as is a part of my custom on my phone right below the alarm that goes off that wakes me up gives me the option to snooze or stop probably choose snooze a lot more. Hey. I'm not going to talk about your naughtiness of being cold all week. 
I'm burning up up here right now. Lord Jesus, have mercy. But when I pick up that phone, I look at it. Just below the, the alarm is, and it's giving me the countdown. It's about 8 minutes and 43 seconds of how long I have to snooze if I want. Sister Alicia, there's a little thing that comes up every day. It says, appointment with God in all caps. And it reminds me that God has woke me up. And I have another day with Him. I'll look at that. Thank you, Lord. And a lot of times I'm still laying there under the comforter, you know, both the Holy Spirit and the physical comforter. Woo! Glory, hallelujah. By the way, we're going to build a swimming pool next year. And I'm going to dub it in prayer. So if you ever call him, my wife says he's in prayer. No. Okay. Anyways, moving on. So I see that appointment with God. A lot of mornings I'll lay there begin to thank God for all he's done. My family, this church, many if not all of you. And I'll open up my Bible and read. This morning, I opened up, and I'm reading. And the way God does it with me, I don't know how He does it with you, but I've got highlights in my Bible where things stand out to me, you know, and it's as if God took His highlighter out and went, just jumped off the page of me. I'm going to show you the version I was reading. It was the New Living. This was the verse I read, first verse I read this morning. As I woke up preparing for this day, verse 20, Matthew 12, he will not crush the weakest, weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. <laughs> and I, I like it. That's a cool confirmation, God. You're, you're something else. I want to tell somebody today, if you feel like you're the weakest reed, he's not going to crush you. If you feel like the candle is flickering out and you don't know if you can make it another day, he's not going to just snuff you out. He's going to nurse that wick and get it burning again. Because in his name, all the world will hope. Come on, does anybody know that name today? Does anybody need some hope today? Is anybody willing to rise to your feet and lift your hands and begin to say, Lord, I may not deserve it. I definitely don't understand it. But I thank you for your incomparable hope. This is God. And in this place, you invite me to come in. In this place, you welcome me with all my failures and inconsistencies, with all of the mess. You invite me. As they sing this song, I want you to know you're invited today.
If you would and can and will, I want you to make your way around this front and just say, God, I accept your invitation. And I open the door to you. The Bible says, if any man knock, or, or if any man will open when I knock, I'll come into him and I'll sup with him and he with me. God's knocking today. Does anybody want to open up and receive some of that incomparable hope today? Does anybody want to get some of that hope today? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Sing 